Hi, this is Oliver Chesler, and I'm talking with Peter Kern, and this is our new podcast, which covers the weekly stories at Create Digital Music and WireToTheEar.com. Hi, Peter. How are you? Very good, because we're kicking it old, old school. Why not start a new podcast in 2010? <laughs> exactly. Um, what else could we do that would be uh, vintage and retro in that way? Well, actually, I've done a couple of things that are vintage, vintage and retro this week. We put, we put a tag cloud on the site just because I hear that's what the kids are doing in 2006. That's right. Did you, did you not have a tag? <laughs> oh, so we were talking a little bit before that your site has just been redesigned. And I just, I'm looking at your new tag cloud. Did you not have a tag cloud on the older site? Uh, I don't think that I did. We oh. might have had one on, we might have had, no, I don't think that I did. I have this, a tag cloud also. Do I? Or I used to. I don't know. Tags I, are useful. I'm going to defend this tag cloud. Tags are useful, and we had a pretty cartoon picture of, of clouds that Nat drew as part of our design. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll defend the tag cloud. And I'll also defend the podcast. So for those people who are wondering why we're suddenly spontaneously doing this, Oliver and I were on a, a panel organized by the Shockley Entertainment people. And, you know, I think bouncing around in my head, it, I had thought, boy, it'd be kind of interesting to actually hear people's voices talking about this stuff. So you hear us kind of ranting and raving on each other's sites or Twitter or things like that. Uh, but to actually get to have a real conversation with people, I thought would be useful. And if it's not, I'm sure that people will wholeheartedly ignore it. Exactly. Um, I, I, I listen to a mountain of podcasts. When I get in the car, I don't listen to music anymore, usually, unless it's my own and I'm testing it on car speakers. Well, and there are many reasons in 2010 why you might start listening to podcasts, what with all these new iPhones and Android devices and Google Listen, and now you can put an, an iPod on your watch. So maybe it'll be the next big thing. What, what's Google Listen? Google Listen for people with an Android phone. Uh, and I don't know if this is coming to other platforms or not, but it's a pretty cool, it's a little buggy, but the the, the sort of concept and the basic execution are great. It's, it's Google's own little podcast finder. And for those of us who have been kind of annoyed by having to look for podcasts via iTunes, which I've never really liked that much, um, this is a kind of a nice solution. And it will download things from your phone, from your mobile, so that you don't have to sync to something to get your new podcasts. Oh, nice. um, and it's what I listen to when I'm doing housework. Housework, okay. That's the other reason why podcasts aren't going anywhere, because they are the one medium that's compatible with things like washing dishes and doing laundry. That's true. Washing I have done, I've listened to podcasts while I've done the dishes, before I got a dishwasher. <laughs> and so, speaking of trends, and trends from the previous decade, and, and how long they'll, they'll last, I would say all of the headlines... All of the sort of big news stories this month, maybe even more than usual, kind of have to do with trying to figure out where stuff is headed. So trying to figure out how trends from the last few years kind of translate into trends in the coming years. I suppose that's kind of always true, but it seems especially true right now. And so the, the first story we thought we'd hit is uh, Rock Band 3. So... I've probably followed this a little closer than you have. You you followed it 100% closer than me because I have I've really I've I like the idea of rock band and I was once at a house party and drunk people were playing and I was like that's cool, but other than that I don't know much about it other than it's a game where you sing along and it's very popular. <laughs> 
no, that's, so tell that's tell me why right. tell me why it's on Create Digital Music. Like what did what what's how is it connected to people? Well, I'll tell I'll tell you why it's on Create Digital Music, and and then I'll tell you why it's a little controversial. So the reason that it's on Create Digital Music is that the 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 folks at Harmonix, the people who developed this game, are all musicians, and um, in fact, the the co-founders of Harmonix are kind of music nerds in the mold of, of a lot of the people that we, that we cover on CDM. Um, these are guys who went to the MIT Media Lab. They were doing experimental stuff with interfaces for music. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but they, they built a uh, joystick-controlled uh, guitar application that was kind of a flop before they got into the realm of music games. So they've always been interested in musical interfaces. So I think it, you know, it's easy for people to kind of dismiss this thing and say, oh, well, they're, they're plastic guitars with a few buttons. It's not really music. But one of the things that's happened after the kind of explosion of Guitar Hero, which later came to be published by another company, and then uh, their title, Rock Band, is these things were really, really successful, sold millions and millions of units. And um, the research that's been done suggests that it really has caused people to get into playing music. You know, sheet music sales are up, uh, instrument sales are up, um, even as American music education is in a lot of trouble, people seem to have a growing interest in learning how to play interests, uh, play, play musical instruments, and these titles seem to have something to do with that. Now, the problem with this is they're titles that have such longevity and do allow the hardcore players to go into playing actual instruments. It's kind of hard to know how to keep following them up with sequels. So Harmonic's answer to that this year, having done the special Beatles edition and things like that, was to up the difficulty. Um, and what they did was they unveiled keyboards. So more than just a few buttons, you actually get about two octaves of keys and um, guitars that allow you to play with real fret positions. So the challenge of the game was ramped up. It means that music that was, you couldn't previously play with the game um, is now compatible with the game, stuff with keyboards or real guitar parts. And they did something kind of surprising, which was to add a MIDI port to their new controllers. So there's a five pin MIDI DIN on the uh, guitar. There is a five-pin MIDI DIN on this sort of weird hundred-some button plastic guitar, and then they have a guitar with actual strings that also has MIDI on it. And okay. they let me interrupt. So actually, that that was my big criticism and why I was never interested in the game. If I could play a game and I could learn how to play guitar by playing the game, if you're telling me I can do that, I'll go and buy the game tomorrow. Because that, or you know what I mean? Like that was that's the thing I didn't like about it. Before it was just like okay, you're just going to push some buttons that you see on the screen, but you're not learning anything. Is that is that all different now? Is it actually like you can? It's actually the same strings and the same notes as you would play on a real guitar that you play in the game now. Yeah, I mean to a point. You know, obviously you have to collapse things into say two octaves on a keyboard. You have to do a little cheating. You're having to read the stuff off the screen, but it's pretty close. That's good. Even in the previous game, some of the drum parts by the time they had transcribed them you were coming pretty close to, to learning the part. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a simplified transcription, but it's a transcription. It's pretty hard to play, even in the previous game. 
uh, once you amp up the difficulty. And this one, yeah, you really are you really are learning to play the instruments. And they even included some kind of cool lessons that that sort of teach you to play. And uh, I would say it's at least on the level of the kind of things that you find, say, in the lessons in GarageBand. So there's a real convergence of um, the game experience and the genuine music experience. Very interesting. Right. Well, now, the problem with all of this is, to us who, to those of us who are musicians, this sounds like great news. <laughs> and uh, this, this uh, $80 keyboard is one of the best MIDI keyboards that you can buy for under $150 at the moment because it feels great. It is battery-powered. It's got a standard MIDI DIN port on it, and a lot of the cheaper keyboards from music manufacturers have been taking that out. It's cheap. It's 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 a, it's also the only strap-on keyboard you can buy for under five hundred dollars, other than scrounging around eBay. Um, so it it seems like great news to the game community. This is not great news, and so the the angle from a lot of the game press was the things that we thought were wildly cheap they think are too expensive and they kind of characterize the whole thing as a desperate move the reviews were very positive people say the game is fun to play but there's real skepticism in the game community about how much of a business success this will be and apparently there's a lot of skepticism at Viacom because Viacom they of MTV have just announced that they're selling off harmonics so they have apparently lost faith in the ability of harmonics to make them money. So wait, let me get this straight. So once again, all right, so video games make money. Video game industry makes money. Music industry and musicians are always losing money. It's be, we're being pushed out into the realms of doing other <laughs> free. And now they finally do a, a video game that's attached to music. And as soon as it starts to get a little real, everybody's just going to lose money and they sell it off. Makes well, sense. Well, you know, I, I don't... I don't <laughs> Maybe they're right. I don't want to kind of speak out of turn. I have no idea. Uh, what motivates Viacom, um, nor do I have the ability to really be a analyze Viacom business decisions. Uh, you know, I don't know how positive the future of harmonics is. I don't have a sense of how successful Rock Band 3 will be. And the, and the simple truth is, the other thing that's happened, aside from there have been several games of this nature, is the economy is still not in great shape. And there's a lot of competition for electronics. You've got iPads and new iPods and Connect, the you know, for the Xbox. And what's the what's the price on Rock Band with the uh, the keytar controller? Um, you know, I mean, you is know, it like four hundred or more? No, not at all. I think you can get a bundle of the game and the and the keyboard for like hundred fifty dollars. Oh, and that's uh, what they think is too expensive. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I think because people have already made an investment in this. I mean, it could come down to. You know, if your grandkid asks for Rock Band and Connect or something for Christmas, they're both $150. You might buy one and not the other. You know, who knows what will happen? That's true. I, I think Connect is going to be the. If it's not Connect or an iPad, I mean, it's not. It's not going to sell anything this year, right? I it's, mean, well, it's hard. You know, it's hard. I mean, stuff is selling. Connect looks like it's been a big success. Uh, it's easy for Connect to overshadow. A guitar, unfortunately, for the rest of the world. Air, air guitar, even better. <laughs> air uh, guitar, you know, that's good. I, I mean, I, it's a, it's a tough economic time. It, it just seems to me that that looking in the really short term, as I'm sure Viacom is probably doing, is not the best way to try to figure out what what this 
tool, what this platform, which is geared for the long run, is going to do. I mean, it's, it's hard not to think that a little bit of what may have happened here is these games were very, very hot, both Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Viacom decided to get in on the action. Uh, you know, I mean, it feels like the plastic guitar game version of Time Warner buying AOL. You know, you, these big media companies invest in this stuff because they think it's going to be huge. But if it's not as huge as they want or it doesn't do exactly the things that they want to right away, it's, it's not hard to imagine that they lose patience. Now, Viacom may be right. This thing may be a business flop. You know, I don't know. But it's, it's hard to know kind of how high their bar is. We don't know who's going to buy harmonics and what that partner will be like. And I think it's hard to project out just how this stuff will do. All right, here's the problem. And I just, it, it dawned on me. The reason why it's a, it's a bad business move to make it more difficult is because you're not going to be able to pick it up and play it when you're drunk. Okay, <laughs> or, or you're going to be too young. So who plays this game? Young people, right? Who no, don't I'm have not skills. Sure. Or not drunk sure people. Well, every time I've ever seen it played, it was at a party with a lot of drinking going on. Well, that may be true of a music game. We know that music itself can be played under the influence of all kinds of things. Uh, right. But yeah, I, I could see that could be true of a, of a party game. Now, the other thing that I saw reported in the press, which I think that they got wrong, was the idea that these new kind of pro-level songs were, back, were not backwards compatible with the other games. That's true, but it's not true that all of the music content is incompatible with with previous games. If you author content just for this pro mode, uh, then that requires Rock Band 3. But Rock Band 3 is still compatible with music that is scored the same ways on the old games. So just because they're providing the ability to do this advanced play doesn't mean they're taking away the ability to do everything else. And, and I've seen a number of stories, including in Wired, that didn't quite seem to get that message. So um, I had a little chat with Harmonix, but I, I need to... I need to do a little follow-up there. I just think, you know, everybody is right, kind of conventional wisdom is writing off the plastic guitar games. I think it may be a little premature. Uh, game, game genres have a tendency to last longer than anybody expects. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be nice from, just from a musician's perspective, uh, it would be nice for these games to evolve so if you played them you and were get and got good at them you would become a good player in real life on a regular guitar or keyboard and also it would be nice if uh some of the music in the game wasn't you know just stuff that was a top 40 hit you know it would be nice to see more indie music in there or maybe even some way of you playing your music in and then uh, you know that's part of the game i mean i know that's unrelated well, to the controversy author, but that's just no, my thoughts on it <laughs> hold on you can author music for this platform, and I think that's the other thing that a lot of us are excited about. Um, using Reaper, of all things, the, the kind of underground DAW that has become a huge hit, you can author, you can take your own music and prepare your own music for use with the rock band games. You can, very soon you'll be able to do it for these new pro modes, and you'll be able to do it for the, the older rock band games and the, and the simpler controllers. Oh, that sounds good. Then I can have a party and make everyone come over and play my music. <laughs> now I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, like I said, I can't see into the future on this one, and, and I'm surprised that everybody else seems to think that they can. Um, however, you know, I do hope that Harmonix finds a good home. They are an extremely music-friendly game developer. The pro stuff is a lot of fun and um, has a lot of potential 
for bridging this gap between between games and music. Um, I yeah, I hope that that you know, I hope the sale doesn't screw up the company yeah, uh, because they built a really great platform, and I don't think it's going away. I think people are writing it off too soon, and the idea that Viacom alone is the best judge of the future success of this emerging platform to me is a little bit laughable. I don't know that they know any better than the rest of us. And I would assume that their expectations for income and profitability uh, may be really high and, and have a really short attention span. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the hits, right, in any, in any of these things. But, you know, they probably saw some graph and it was, the trend was going down a few percent. And they pulled the This button. is also the company that destroyed the music video. I would hope that people don't forget that. <laughs> okay. They popularized it and then they destroyed it. Okay, well, uh, moving on, but I, I, I would just like to say that's very interesting, and I will uh, take a second look. If anyone at MTV is listening, I'm very, very sorry. I'm oh, wait, that's one thing we should say about our podcast. <laughs> we, should be, we should trash everybody if they deserve to be trashed, okay? No holding back. <laughs> I'm only making fun. I, I, do, still like, uh, I do still like MTV. Okay. okay. So, all right, so let's talk about um, uh, the... The move into the iPad, the iOS apps that all seem to come out this week, uh, Rebirth, the Korg, IMS20, um, and a few other ones that I found really interesting, like Polycord. There was a bunch, and it seemed like they're all they're getting snazzier, and it seems like with the big guys, especially that Korg, uh, the IMS20, I mean, it's, it's really deep. I mean, I was playing with it for hours, and it's, you know, once the MIDI Wi-Fi stuff hits, I mean... We're, this is a real platform now, you know, definitely. Do you, now, do you think that is, is, is MIDI Wi-Fi the, the best way to go for MIDI? Okay, so there are a number of questions here. Uh, yes, there's a lot of new nifty stuff for the iPad, and I think everybody knows that. So the question is kind of um, what, uh, what in that cloud of new stuff is going to stick and what isn't. Um, so one of those issues is, is MIDI. And um, it was interesting, of course, we had Ernst from Propellerhead kind of join in the conversation on great digital music. And um, he told me that he was kind of a little bit puzzled by this stuff, even though they're releasing Rebirth for the iPad. That He wasn't sure how people were working and what was going to be important, and kind of what this whole thing would mean. Seems like he's excited about the iPad. Seems like he wasn't so excited about the iPhone. But he's excited about the iPad, but has some questions. And, and I think it's reasonable to ask those questions. So starting with MIDI. Does it matter to have MIDI at all? Uh, should it be over Wi-Fi? Should it be over Bluetooth? Should it be over DIN cables? Should it be over, uh, I don't know, telephone cords? <laughs> all the apps that I have, they're, they're, they're getting fantastic. Like this polycord thing, it should, basically it's just like a little bit like of uh, that Harmony Navigator app. You just push, you push these disks would have uh, chord scales on them. And, and anything you play on the keyboard on the right, automatically matches so you're like a wonderful yeah. musician instantly but the, the thing with that app is it's awesome but it's not my sounds it's not like i can't take a vocal sample and put it in there you know so and and you can't create like a full there's no full sequence or environment that will draw in all from all the different apps you use on an ipad and i don't think the ipad is for that i think it's more like it's it's going to be more useful as a single instrument teamed up through some sort of midi system to a, a real daw now if it was up to me, I don't, I don't know how good the Wi-Fi MIDI spec is going to work. If, it's, if, it's, if the timing is like an Atari ST, 
then that's then definitely make it wireless. I don't uh. know Bluetooth, or whatever. <laughs> but if it's not going to be, then I don't know, plug a wire in. But I do feel like it, it has to hook up to a, a real computer with a big screen, one the truck, quotes unquote, you know, and, uh, you know, work that way right now. I mean, or I just hardware have... or hardware, you know, I right. I'm actually to me, I, to me, the appeal of hooking up the iPad to the computer is, is you know, iPad and things like that to the computer is, um, you know, it's 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 handy to have touch control of things, and I've even used that in in performances. It's not as exciting in a way to be able to being able to hook up these other bits of gear and kind of get away from the computer. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I guess even before you deal with the question of what the transport is or how you do it, it's clear that it's important to people to be able to make some of their stuff work with some of their other stuff, to be able to connect one thing to another, um, and. I, you know, I guess the conventional wisdom on the iPad and things like it has been that all of that stuff is kind of just for people who are really advanced and that it's even limited the appeal of electronic music to the general public, that by connecting things to other things, we've made music production too complicated and it's not what the average person wants to do. Uh, however, the anecdotal evidence seems to be not support that. It seems like even fairly beginning u level users, if they have one thing that makes sound and another thing that one makes sound, one of the first things that they wonder is, well, how could I kind of use these two things together? So I think that interconnect is really important. Um, I think it's the reason that we've had MIDI is such a big part of our lives for so long. So um, you need you need something. You need something. Uh, now, the question of how you implement it is is trickier. I would love to be able to say that wireless was the answer and that there are no problems with doing wireless communication. Uh, but that's not the case. All right. Well, I'm looking at Wikipedia. MIDI protocol was defined in 1982. So <laughs> maybe that's yeah. the problem right there. I don't know. Uh yeah, well, I'm mean, yeah, right, 82 and then um, kind of adopted by uh, 84. Right. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about MIDI is it's small. Uh, it, it's possible for extremely, extremely simple devices to be able to use MIDI. And um, that means it's always going to have a, have a place. And we've got even more interest than ever in, in kind of really cheap microcontrollers and things. So it, it's tough to beat MIDI just in terms of its size for things like that. Well, maybe that's It's also tough to beat something. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it should be. The problem is not MIDI. The, the problem is the wireless protocols. I saw a the, few demos online, like initial people like trying uh, 4.2, and they're, you know, they're writing some of their own software. It seemed to work in the videos, but you know, they're not doing 20 tracks of, you know, <laughs> at, at 150 beats per minute, you know, like in, with a heavy shuffle, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. So. Well, so you've got two options for wireless in general right now without coming up with something new. I mean, you can always do some other kind of RF, um, but, but in, in terms of things like the iPad, uh, consumer devices where you can't necessarily define your own wireless protocol, you're going to be using either Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Um, neither Wi-Fi nor Bluetooth was set up for real-time data. So um, neither of them uh, is aware of the fact that you might care about timing and jitter and uh, dropped connections. Um, right. 
like that's that said now that said i've been i've been looking into it it'll work so for a lot of kind of for a lot of applications it's fine um the biggest problem with wi-fi i think is interference so it might work just fine in your home um, but it might not be something that you could really rely on on stage and and i have heard people complaining about that if you are in front of two thousand people and they all have iphones and cell phones and bluetooth stuff and you the interference may be such that you don't want to have to rely on a wireless connection just the kind of flaky wi-fi implementations on devices like the ipad uh, can be enough reason to not really like wi-fi that's true you know actually i was thinking you know how like so the uh, apple has this air sharing that's going to also launch where you can you know push what's on your uh, you know ios device onto yeah, the airplay. tv right. airplay airplay so now they were saying one way to get another attack on the video game industry would let's say you have a, a controller on your ipad and the game yeah. is on the screen and the big problem there is this it's the same it thinks like i think it's a similar problem where you want to push a button on the device and have instant you know feedback on the on the screen or i guess on your computer well, airplay airplay is even worse it's it's not a protocol that everybody can talk to um it's very very apple proprietary and it adds a lot of latency so right. airplay is airplay is cool airplay is not your friend for doing these kinds of applications That's well it seems like they're going to it seems like if it's not maybe or maybe there is to be something you develop you know so this stuff works perfect although apples is it is it an app? I read the story on your blog. So the app, so MIDI Wi-Fi, that's something that as Apple uh, bought or designed or put into iOS 4.2. I've never heard of Wi-Fi MIDI. So other basically, than like for, for for MIDI over Wi-Fi right now, you've got two kind of likely candidates. Uh, one is the the protocol that Apple's using, which is based on it's it's not really a spec. It it's there's but it it's things that people have published how to do it, and uh, it's not Apple specific. In fact, I said incorrectly that I thought it was mostly Apple-specific. Um, people have corrected me on that, and they've got implementations working on other platforms. Um, so it, it's something you could easily, well, not easily, but it's something that you could implement on other platforms. So it, it means that iOS and Android and Windows and Mac and Linux could all talk to the same protocol. Um, it's What they're doing um, basically add some extra layers on top of the Wi-Fi communication to deal with things like, you know, what happens if you lose some packets. It, it's a protocol that, that, through a series of techniques, tries to deal with things like packet loss. The other way of doing it is just kind of the brute force, force method. That's what things like the DSMI, the thing that came from the Nintendo DS do. Mm -hmm. They just kind of throw packets at the Wi-Fi connection and, and hope for the best which has some advantages itself. It's simpler to implement, and uh, if you kind of make your software such that it will deal with things getting lost, maybe not in the protocol, but in the software itself, uh, that can work too. So, you know, we'll see MIDI Wi-Fi. We're going to see if the MIDI Manufacturers Association decides to weigh in on this whole kind of mess. You just can't, I don't think there's going to be any time in the near future where you're going to feel like you can really rely on Wi-Fi cards uh, and Wi-Fi implementations in a sort of mission-critical application. Right. I don't. You might be able to play small gigs with it. You're not going to be playing big gigs with it anytime. If you if you're anxious about that, I mean, because you've seen that with I'm sure with your iPad and with your laptop, and you know where suddenly it'll drop the Wi-Fi connection or something like that. You don't ever want that to happen. Oh yeah. I mean, it took me years after the Bluetooth wireless mouse mouse to come out. 
yeah. to actually buy one and use it. So <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm all about connections. Unfortunately, I think Bluetooth is a little better for a few reasons. Um, but Bluetooth isn't an option on the iPad because uh, Apple doesn't let you do sort of arbitrary Bluetooth data. Uh, Android will let you do that, but iOS won't let you do that. That's a shame because actually that's true because I'm using my wireless mouse right now and it's instant on my computer. That that it works. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think. But anyway, about that. I think I think what you're going to see over about the next 12 months is we just got to play with all this stuff. We'll play with Wi-Fi and play with Bluetooth and do it on different platforms and test it under different circumstances. It's going to be like testing those rules on the airplanes. We're going to find out how much interference does it take before your uh, wireless MIDI controller stops working. Yeah, I think it's great news that Apple's including it. I think that the that every every musician wants this kind of connectivity. So it'll happen. And if it's not good enough, this you know they'll make it better. I think this is some you know it's like supply and demand. People want this. Well, yes and no. <laughs> you know, uh, musicians want this, and we don't have the kind of control over the over any of these platforms that that we can just it's not just going to happen because we want it because we're a very small group of people it would have those kind of things would have been part of these protocols already but we've always been a small group of people so uh, something will happen well why uh, do you think why do you think Apple's adding this no one was expecting them to add MIDI spec to any of this why do you think that happened maybe they're planning something with logic on their own I don't know uh, I mean they add it because they have people who have worked on this stuff um, I think it's not hugely difficult to port that kind of thing from the MIDI framework on the Mac to the MIDI framework on iOS. Um, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's not—it's not like writing a new um, a new spec from the ground up. You know, I mean, there's one or two people on that who team. The, who was the guy that wrote? Remember, there was a, remember when they were doing Core MIDI for the first time? The guy that came to Apple to write that. What was the what was the company? Dave. Dave. Yeah. And he, what was the company he came from? Oh, well, he was Studio Vision, right? Uh, from Opcode. He was the guy. I wonder if he's Doug, the one. That, Doug Wyatt. Sorry. I wonder if he's the one that's doing Doug, this. Doug Wyatt. Was, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, Doug Wyatt was the guy who brought OMS over to Apple. Right, uh, OMS, yep. It's, it's not Doug on, on this I'm, I'm glad those days are over, by the way. <laughs> we can't talk about it anyway. It was because all of this is under NDA. And yeah. this entire conversation uh, would violate an Apple developer agreement. <laughs> I'm, are you an Apple developer? I'm not. <laughs> Uh, I'm thinking about signing signing up for that because of the, some of the stuff that we're doing with PD and uh, iOS. Um, in order to get the SDK, I have to sign the agreement. So I, I think I probably will. But we haven't talked necessarily about the core MIDI framework. That stuff is all stuff that the, uh, that Apple does on the on the desktop version. So we could probably defend the fact that we're talking about it. It was kind of interesting that it it spread around so much that the the tech press kind of picked up on the story that you can do MIDI with the iPad because it, it does seem to be something that's a little bit arcane or only interesting to a few of us. I mean, I will say, you know, I just, uh, I've been playing around with the MIDI mobilizer from Line 6 yep. and um, it's the it's not so bad having physical connections. Oh, I don't, I actually, so. if I had, I would probably, even if I had mini Wi-Fi, I would probably try both. I mean, I, I don't mind, I really just want, like, like Polycord is on my mind too, but if I could plug that in and be and record those sequences, what it's doing into the computer into Ableton, I would be a very happy person right now. It's like it's it's really inspiring. So I I wouldn't care if it was Wi-Fi or, or not right now. I mean, I'm sitting right in front of the computer anyway. You know, I'd be setting things, but yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to have all those options. I mean, the, the smart developer is going to build in all of those things so that you can choose. There are times when Wi-Fi is the most convenient or the only option. There's times when Bluetooth is the most convenient. 
there's times where uh, a physical MIDI DIN port is your only option because you want to talk to an old synth, and I think that'll be great. So, no, I think you'll get all of those options. I don't think that we're going to fix problems with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth that have been around for a few years. Um, but at the same time, you know, I actually had a conversation with uh, one of the guys from Sony Ericsson, and, and Bluetooth has gotten a lot better. Um, there's a lot, it's a lot more reliable than it used to be. It has to do with implementations and things. And, and they're, they're piping audio around. You should certainly be able to pipe MIDI around. It's a little, little tiny bits of data. All right, Peter, let's move to the next thing. Now, I'll, I'll do this for you since you don't want to be self-gratuitous, but let's talk about MeeBlip. M-E-E-B-L-I-P. Well, right. Why is that five-pin DIN connector so important? <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell us what MeeBlip, MeeBlip is. MeeBlip is a project that it's been a collaboration between me and, and the, this designer and engineer, James Graham, who's also the blogger at RetroThing. And, um, boy, a few years ago, I think he first told me about this, that he'd been looking at, at, at synthesizer implementations on the AVR uh, on these really, really simple, really, really cheap microcontrollers. And that he thought that you could build an entire synthesizer around that. But as opposed to some of the previous projects, that you could also make it more musician-friendly. That you could add a lot of knobs and switches so that there was tactile control of everything, and add MIDI so that it was kind of more usable in the in the rest of your setup. And that he thought that you could make it really, really cheap. And you know, through various conversations about that, um, we, we talked about what was happening with open source hardware, and I was able to. Um, kind of work through that and, and talk about how we might make it a really open source open source synthesizer. So the result is the MeeBlip and uh, finally came out uh, last week. They are shipping now. They should start to arrive in the next couple of days after after we record this. And um, But it's an inexpensive, hackable synthesizer. I like to say that it's a hackable synthesizer for everyone because it was really important to me that even though it's open source and even though it's hackable, that you ought to be able to take it out of the box and use it right away. So we want all of these hacks and customizations to make it even better in the future, but that it, you, you shouldn't have to be a, um, a sort of an experienced hacker to be able to use it. That It should be equally useful to someone who wants to reprogram it at the code level all the way up to somebody who wants to play with a hardware synth for the first time. That was our totally unambitious goal <laughs> i can tell you what i like that you know you mentioned it has switches instead of buttons i love that i mean i think that's just it's yeah, so james, cool james was james was inspired by the uh Ober, sort of classic oberheim synths that yeah. used a lot of switches in their sound design so that's that's where all these switches came from my you know my father used to and he used to call me the button pusher and he was being derogatory because i would just be pounding on everything and now I, i'm very proud to have that name because <laughs> i love doing exactly that type of thing those little switches i can see uh playing around with um, it, it sounds good. I, I was listening to the demos on SoundCloud, and I mean, one hundred twenty nine dollars. I mean, that's the price of a plugin. It's gonna, it's gonna sound better than any plugin. You know, I don't know why that is, but any, any, any hardware device you plug it in, and just something going through the D, recording through the the D to A converters, you, it just the waveforms are all gonna look better. So don't buy, there, don't buy a plugin. There, buy this. <laughs> there are actually some specific reasons that that it sounds the way that it does. Um, that that occur on the chip level. And James has done some kind of unusual things, uh, one of which being it is a 16-bit synth. Like, now, this was something that people didn't understand. Now, I love the name MeBlip, but, and I love that you can make kind of chippy sounds with it, uh, but somehow people 
perceive that as meaning that it's a, a chip synth or an 8-bit synth, and, and it's not. It's actually a 16-bit synth, but he did it with two parallel 8-bit DACs. Mm-hmm. So it's a little unusual in that way. And, and the kind of the arrangement of the signal path is such that it's got some really great bass sounds. Um, a lot of the code work that he did is in the filter. So the, there's a kind of a, a fun, punchy filter on it. You know, it. you should have called it the Me, the me Blip 16 and then came out with a Me, Bip, a me Blip 8 later. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I kind of love some of these digital distorted sounds. So I, I love switching on distortion and, and adding noise to one of the oscillators and things like that. So I, I think that's what confused some people. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens as we start to talk about the way that those sounds are produced and I'm not even going to try because James can do a much better job than I can but I will make sure that James talks a little bit about the design work that he did and, and why it sounds this way and, and kind of what he learned in the process because it, re- it was really an exploration for him building this thing. How are you going about um, like the manufacturing of the parts? Like the case looks like you know like a Dave Smith's instrument. It looks totally like a product you would buy off the shelf all the graphics and everything. Are, are these made are you making any parts out of the country or they're just like locally sourced and then you're putting the, you, you don't, when you buy it, you don't get it like the image. You still have to put it together on some level, right? Uh, yes, because uh, in order to ship it in, in a finished form, um, which we might be able to do at some point, uh, you need things like FCC certification. Uh. Um, so it needs to be, I mean, it, this is a really easy thing to, to stick together in its current form. So that's, that's not really much. Well, that's interesting because, you know, when I bought, I have a voice of Saturn synth and uh, sequencer. I don't think he's got FCC approval. Does he? He he sent me these put together. (laughs) Maybe, oh, whoops. Maybe we should say that. (laughs) Well, you know, it, that, that's all about volume and kind of when they start to, I guess when they start to notice you and yeah, um, exactly. I've occasionally, it's kind of fun actually to buy like Texas instruments at a project that I bought that isn't certified anywhere. I think it's illegal to take it into Japan. It has all kinds of health warnings on it. Uh, the me blip is not like that. But right. but uh, there's all this stuff that you kind of take for granted that in terms of uh, radio interference. And uh, there, we have, there are rules that you have to follow. And it does cost some money to kind of comply with those rules. But anyway, that aside, yeah, you, you, you put it together. Um, you don't have to solder it if you buy that quick build kit. Um, the 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 case is a story into itself, and I think we'll probably get James to write about that at some point, uh, because enclosures are such a big challenge for people making their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, in this case, he has a relationship with with some guys in Canada that have this expensive equipment that can machine a case like that, and and so that's why we're able to to do a case that's that's uh, kind of rugged and and cheap. Plastic is plastic is a great th- and underrated thing. Um, I have already dropped this thing once, and it it is nice to have that instead of a case that you kind of assembled yourself sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think just from a, I don't know if it's a business, uh, if you're planning on making money on it, but if you are, I mean, that the case alone is what makes it stand out from all the other boutique, you know. It, it looks like, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, you bite at Sweetwater or whatever. It doesn't look like, you know all the other ones that we're seeing popping up now. Well, I do. I mean, I do hope that we can offer a DIY case as an alternative, but the, the conversation that James and I had was having something that's rugged, having the ability to throw something in a bag and take it to a gig and not worry about it is pretty important. And um, so whatever you do with it, however 
DIY your solution. You know, you really want to be able to do that so that you feel like it's an instrument that you can carry around with you how, however you get there. And uh, having folks who are experienced in, in uh, doing enclosures is a big advantage. Well, what I would like to see, I'd like to see actually uh, so full, full MIDI instead of just the DIN, right? So I can plug it in and use it as MIDI. And I'd like to see it for 149 built. And then, then, and full, then you got me. Full MIDI and... Uh, well, and I, don't know, I don't know what you mean by full MIDI. Oh, so let me... I thought I don't know if I... It has MIDI? It has a MIDI input jack. You can't use it as a controller. It doesn't have a MIDI output jack. Oh, okay. So no, all right. So that's fine. All right. So then just build it for me. <laughs> no, in fact, I just plugged it into an iPad the other day. Uh, it's a lot of... What's the name of that arpeggiator that's so great? I don't know. Uh, um, there's a... Well, here I'll... The the uh, I'll look. Did you get an uh, iPad finally? I got an iPad. Oh, okay, finally. cool. Because <laughs> I, I really needed to. Because you know I want to be able to. You have to be able to write about it. I have to be able to write about it. I want to be able to try people's stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I the great thing about doing CDM is, um, I mean the reason that I do what I do is I I care about all these people who develop this stuff and. Now, being a really terrible developer myself, uh, I have at least had enough development experience to kind of know what that process is like. Um, that's not, I'm the terrible developer. So, everybody that wants to know, it's meblip.noisepages.com. M E E B L I P, yeah. But yeah, I was able to plug it into, uh, it is called Step Poly ARP. Oh, I don't know that one. All right. I'll still look forward to it. And it is compatible with the MIDI mobilizer. So, you stick the MIDI mobilizer in and you've got. MIDI DIN out, and you know, obviously, whenever 4.2 ships, you should be able to use the camera connector too. But you know, it, that's kind of a nice combination because it, uh, it, you get the tactile control of the MeBlip, but you get, you know, editing arpeggiators with the touchscreen makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah, MIDI DIN in it, the USB port doesn't do anything. It is just a power port that happens to be shaped like a USB connector, but that means you can you can plug it into your computer's USB port, and that works fine. Um, it, it's not a big power draw on this, so that's totally fine on any nice. of the USB ports. Uh, you can plug it into things. Every By now, most of us have little collections of power bricks that have USB on the other end. Like I have some. I have one for the, you know, there's one for the iPad. There's one for the iPod. There's one for the iPhone. There's one for all of these Motorola phones that use USB. So if you've got one of those, you can plug that in. Nice. And I think once we find one that we actually were going to ship an adapter, but we were we weren't satisfied with quality. Once we're satisfied with quality, we'll have that. If you use a battery pack like the Minty Boost, um, which is a USB to AA converter, you can plug that into the back and run it off battery power. All right, very nice. Very nice. So that that's not a pitch for the MeBlip, as so much as that is a pitch for using USB connectors for power. It is very convenient. You can't run MIDI over that USB port, but you can. It's a handy shape to use for electricity. Very nice. Oh, yeah. But while we're on the iPads uh, uh, apps that came out this week, the other one that most people probably are overlooking, like real musicians, is the Smule Magic Fiddle. Trust me on this one. They have, it's a very good app. I don't know what it is, what they did, but, you know, it's basically just like a slide. It's like a slide guitar. With, so with that app, um, it's like the other Smule, Smule apps. You can, you know, there's like a social networking aspect it'll yeah it'll shoot these little dots and you can play play the notes but but this app let like in between the notes it, everything is detuning and crazy it sounds it feels really like a real instrument to me i mean i i was glued to it and 
Now, and that's an app which instead of like the dope for uh, control, you know, the um, ribbon controller that they sell, like ribbon controllers. If this could be used with other sounds, it would be just like a killer ribbon controller. You know, I mean, use oh, interesting. yeah, it's really good. It's really sensitive. Just wanted to throw that in there because I'm really enjoying it. Oops, I guess I didn't meet my phone. I thought <laughs> that I did. Yeah, I just I had to turn off my Google notifiers. I, I have a whole host of sounds that can, that can happen. <laughs> uh, no, you know, the unfortunate thing that, now I love Smule. I think Ewang is an incredible visionary, and it looks like that app was a huge hit already. So this is not, we don't have to say anything about that. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of unfortunate. I thought that they did that video with the people playing them in a string quartet. Uh, yeah, that's all I'll say yeah, about that. I mean, <laughs> I, mean <laughs> I agree. The, well, the, the promo videos don't do it justice. It's like something about the sensitivity and the way, I don't know, it's it's good. It, you should definitely try I mean, it's three bucks. I mean, I will give it a try, and I will. I'm not going to say anything. I I haven't tried it, so I won't say anything right. yet. The idea of replacing violins with and cellos and violas with iPads obviously doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was no kind of funny actually, because the, the commentary from the non-music world was, "This is how innovative the iPad is, and this is how it's going to change the future of music." It, I thought it was kind of funny because that was the kind of dumb thing that we were saying like in the '80s with Casio sounds. Like, wow, it sounds. Yeah. Kind of almost like a terrible violin. Uh, so now we're kind of repeating history with the iPad. You know, violins should be violins, and just th that's the way it should stay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, sort of. Um, but I will I will listen to it with fresh ears. I love the stuff that they do, um, and I kind of love that they are reaching out to a wider audience. I think that's important. Um, All right, Peter. I think what we should do is one more topic, and you could choose it if you like. Because uh, we're at fifty, we're about fifty-one minutes. I think we talked a little before, so we're probably on, yeah, we're about forty <laughs> minutes. So if you want to pick out, or I, I can, I can mention a quick thing if you, if you don't have anything on your mind. Go for it. Okay, so uh, there's a new um, Basquiat movie, John Michelle Basquiat, that just came out in November, and it's a, it's a documentary. So I watched it, and I'm a huge fan, and I, so I got, I was just looking at pictures of him online, and I, I forgot that he did, mu he made music. And he also did an album cover for a rap group. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Ram R A M M E L L Z E and K Rob. And beyond the fact that the album cover is amazing, the song's also amazing. It was like I guess 1980, early 80s. It's just something that I think if you don't know Basquiat or you don't know the song, it's on my blog. You can take a look at it at the artwork that he did. Listen to it. And the, here's a here's a fun thing you can tell your hip hop rap friends. Ask them. What's the most valuable hip hop 12 inch ever made? And they're going to come up with all sorts of things. Like they're going to think music, but of course it's this Basquiat. If you have one of these, uh, oh, it's worth, it's worth, you know, it's almost priceless at this point. So <laughs> just a little trivia we can add and, you know, throw in there. I, I was, I spent half a day thinking about it. So, <laughs> so to wrap it up for this week, uh, let's just talk about a few other stories. We'll just mention them quickly because, uh, they, they should be interesting to other people. Uh, I'll, I'll fire off one. Pro Tools, it's now native. It works with all hardware. Um, personally, I think it's too little too late, you know, but if you're a Pro Tools fan and don't want to be stuck to one of their boxes, this is great news. Uh, I, have a sli I have a slightly different take on it. I think, I mean, Avid's seen their sales pick up a little bit. They talked about it in their earnings call. Um, they're already pretty big. Their problem was that they were shrinking. seems like they're growing again, maybe not as fast as they'd like, but it seems like they are out of the woods. Uh, I think the thing that's that's cool about it is 
Pro Tools is now competing with everybody else. Now that that's actually harder on those other DAWs. It means they have to compete with Pro Tools. It also means Pro Tools has to compete a little harder because once you're free of hardware restrictions, you could jump ship to another DAW. So I, my sense is in the end, similar as DAWs all are, I think it's probably going to be a little better for everybody. It's, it, I think it, you're right. It's better for everybody. It's better for, I mean, it's, it, they shouldn't tie you to anything, right? They've too little something. too late suggests that somehow Pro Tools is going away. And much as I know some people would like it to go away, I don't get that sense. Oh, I just meant too little too late for me to be interested in it. For I mean, you. Oh, right, okay. yeah. I mean, you know what? There, there are so many great DAWs. I mean, people like, they use Cakewalk and all these fruit, all these different things. They're amazing. I mean, I, they're all very deep now. They're all very mature. I mean, it's just... Whatever you like and whatever you're into. You know. Oh, absolutely. The only problem with that is that they're also all really, really similar. So I think that's why it is kind of fun to use something like uh, Renoise. That'll be my other little quick news item. Renoise has come out with a new version, and it's a, it, it isn't like the others. It's very, very different. It comes from this tracker model. You might hate it, but at least if you want an experience of something that feels a little different, Renoise is it. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's kind of fun what they're doing. It allows huge amounts of customization. They're kind of interesting discussions uh, going on about uh, how to use the scripting capability. And I, th I think even if you, for people who don't program, they may wind up finding that there are benefits to that. Um, I, I agree. I think you should go to Renoise.com, look at the videos. It runs on Linux. I think it's cool. I mean, I used to use Dr. T's keyboard-controlled sequencer back in the 80s. Ah. This is similar. This is good stuff. If, you know, if you're a geek or you just want to try something different, I Renoise is highly recommended. And that's the reason that, yeah, that's the reason that Ableton Live remains important too, is that it, it, it is a DAW. It does feel different. And, and so it's easier for people to understand what it is because it isn't the same as, uh, uh, as all these other DAWs. Yep. I have to sit down with a new version of Sonar came up, speaking of DAWs that are a little bit more in the traditional mold. The new UI looks a whole lot better, uh, badly needed, I think. Um, but I'll say more about it once I've had some time to actually use it. Yeah, I mean, Sonar is one of those, I see the press releases, I look at it, it just looks really interesting, just like a Digital Performer, all of them, they look great, but you know, you have to choose your weapons, right? Yep, DP, Cubase, Sonar, and uh, uh, Pro Tools and Logic, all of which have been around for uh, at least 15 years. Yeah, I, actually, you know what, I, I do think it'll be interesting now to see if anybody can innovate in that space drastically, maybe it'll all just be progressive now. But I mean, we haven't had, I mean, in my opinion, we haven't had real innovation since Ableton. And Ableton, even they just took elements actually from like Dr. T's and stuff, but at least they brought it into modern times. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, I would like to see interfaces that, uh, you know, use, I don't know, instead of graphics like let's say a river flowing and you throw something in the river and it you know it's making sounds randomly but i guess that's plugins and like con uh what's the uh native instruments reactor type of stuff so i don't know i don't know I i'm at a point now where I, maybe it's my age where i can't see where the next thing is in that space where it's going to go but it should be interesting yeah it seems like there's a big gap between um kind of interesting experiments on platforms like the iphone and the ipad also things that people do with Reactor, free stuff that, that f things that people do with free and open source tools or, or where they build their own experimental interfaces. There's a big gap between that and then these kind of traditional DAWs. Uh, we see people trying to move from either end, but there's not a whole lot in between. Ah, you know what? I thought of something that we're both forgetting. So I saw Ohm Force. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. That brings us to Ohm Studio is it's certainly an right. attempt to do something different. Now, the interface, though, I mean, this is why we never wind up with something all that different. It, it's, it's innovative in that you have this kind of cloud functionality and collaboration. This is an upcoming application called Ohm Studio from these developers, Ohm Force. And they're building in chat, and you'll be able to collaborate with people online. But even with all of that, the UI looks pretty similar. It looks a lot like things like GarageBand. Right. So uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. Now, you know, part of the reason that things look like that is that sometimes they're the, most, they're the best solution to the problem or they're the most uh, intuitive to people. You, or it just says it? that people have certain things that people want to do. Uh, I have not tried the beta. Yeah, I haven't tried it either. Um, it, lo it looks interesting. I mean, the, it's like, it's kind of similar, though, to like video chat. <laughs> I, you're going to have a smaller amount of people that actually want to do it in real time with somebody else, you know. So, but I, if it works, it should be, could be, could be good. I don't know. But that's assuming, too, that innovation is always what you need to do. Sometimes you, you know, you just want the ability to record some tracks of audio and move them around and make yeah. a song. I'm very much so. a solo artist, so it's hard for me to get too interested other than, you know, it's from Ohmforce, and I, their plugins are amazing. I love those. And they have really cool promo videos. Have you seen those, the, the, the funny ones they do? They've done a nice job with that. <laughs> yes, they have. They've, they've at least, in, they've certainly innovated in the way that they've presented this thing, for sure. Uh, any other rapid-fire stories, or should we bring this thing to a close? I think, you know, there's some other plugins that have come out, like, uh, you know, Isotope Nectar. It's it's nothing new. It's just their package of a, voc of a vocal plugin. But, you know, their, their other products are great. That's I'm looking let, forward let, to that. Let, hold on. Let me ask it this way, then. What are you actually using right now? What are you working on? Um, what am I using right now? Uh, actually, my studio machine is, is a G5 running. It's not running Snow Leopard, so I have an incredible amount of plugins and everything that works really well. So I don't actually do use too many new things there. Everything that I'm doing innovative musically as far as uh, sounds is coming from my iPad. And, you know, I've talked to death about all those, you know, already. But um, what, well, what are you using like this week? Uh, well, Polycord I've been glued to and the new Korg IMS. Uh, let me see. I can open my iPad now and look around. Uh, let's see. There is a bunch. Um, I will say, you know, all right, so Rebirth from the iPad, just so you know, I, I bought it and I'm using it. And as much as I love everything they do, I don't really feel like that's a tool that I want to use on my iPad. I played with it for a little while. It just, it's not made for the iPad, so I'm going to give that a, actually a kind of negative review. <laughs> as much as James, my, my good old friend at work there, would kill me to do it. But it, it's a wonderful feat that it's there, but I'm not that interested. Sh uh, the Smule, Magic Fiddle. Oh, you know what? There's another app, Singing Fingers. I think it's actually an iPhone app. So basically, you, it was developed at MIT. You're going to like this one, Peter. It's developed at MIT. And basically, you draw on the iPad. And as you draw, you, say, you sing or say something. And then when you move your finger back over the drawing, in time with what you said it. So you draw a line, and it'll say, say way. If you put your finger at the end of the line, it'll go, hey, you know, just the end tail. So you can like play around, and everything's multicolored. Singing Fingers, um, the Reactable app also is really good. I mean, I've had a lot of fun with that. So, you know, that, that's been keeping me busy, all those things. That sounds busy. Well, I have a much shorter answer. I'm really happy to be done with this, uh, <laughs> to done with this rollout of this new site redesign that we did. I've been spending most of my time looking at servers and PHP queries in MySQL, which is not musical. Um, no. <laughs> I'm ready to spend, I mean, you, 
I'm ready to spend the next week. I'll, pro I'll probably fiddle around a little bit with the, with the Meblip and with PD. That is what I hope to do over the next week. Vacationing right. with PD sounds like a funny thing, but um, in a way, kind of when you want to unplug from all these so all the software and options, doing something really simple and pure data, uh, the free patching environment is actually kind of nice. So that's what I hope to be doing the next week. A little processing, a little PD. And then come back to all this good stuff after Thanksgiving. Very nice. Fortified with turkey. Very nice. Um, so everybody, please visit wiredotheear.com and create digitalmusic.com. And please be kind. This is our first try at this. Um, this and, is us just chatting. This is not necessarily how we envisioned this. Right. And for people that don't know, me, uh, Peter and I, we don't know each other other than we met once before. So we're also learning how to, you know, get our conversation on a little bit. So uh, be nice in the comments. <laughs> Fortunately, they're all gone at this point, so there won't be any, any comments left. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's thank, been, a, thank you, it's been a pleasure. See you next Talk time. You later. Bye. All right. Bye.